Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. After much controversy, the South Dakota Board of Education voted to approve revisions to the state's social studies standards yesterday. Many Native educators disagree with the state's now approved standards because they say it erases a lot of indigenous history and issues. We'll talk with educators about what this means for Native American social studies education in South Dakota public schools. Join us after the news. National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. For 40 years, Jemez Pueblo in New Mexico has been working to access water. The tribe says it's owed by the federal government. KUNR's Kayla Bradel has more. It's a gray and snowy day in late winter on the Jemez Pueblo Reservation in north central New Mexico. Peter Madalena is standing on the banks of the Jemez River, a tributary of the Rio Grande. Madalena says the river's higher than it has been in recent winters, thanks to more days like this one, filled with snow. It's, it's a blessing that we're getting it because we're going to have more water and hopefully more people plant. Madalena is the Pueblo's first lieutenant governor. He's also a lifelong farmer, like many here at Jemez. The tribe doesn't own any casinos or large energy sources. They're largely supported by farming, with corn and chilies being their primary crops. That means they rely heavily on this river, which they divert for agriculture. The crop from the seed up, as they say, we grow together. So that's what we're trying to protect here, the water. But that hasn't always been easy. Back in 1938, New Mexico, Colorado, and Texas signed a compact that divided the Rio Grande Basin waters among the states. But native tribes and pueblos didn't have a seat at the table. That forced them to negotiate settlements or file lawsuits, even though their rights predate all water users. Paul S. Chinana is a five-term Jemez Pueblo governor and member of the tribal water team. He's been involved with negotiations since they started back in 1983. We've been having a lot of water shortages for as long as I can remember. And um, there was a lot of uh, people that were moving in upstream as more water users, mainly homes and businesses, are built to the north, less of it flows down to Jemez. And there's another ongoing challenge impacting the amount of available water. Drought. It's just uh, hard to, uh, to get every, everything uh, running normal like it's supposed to run. <laughs> For National Native News... I'm Kayla Bradle. This story is supported by the Water Desk, an initiative from the University of Colorado Boulder's Center for Environmental Journalism. The city of San Antonio, Texas, recently named Chicano poet Neftali de Leon as the city's poet laureate. The bilingual bicultural artist says he'll not only represent his Mexican-American culture in the post, but also his indigenous roots. Maria Martin reports. The son of migrant worker, 78-year-old Neftali de Leon, is known for his children's stories, his visual art, and most of all, for his code-switching poetry. Our ancient Yanawana Springs, where you can even dance a West Side Polka in a tune con la chiquita banana. 
At his investiture as San Antonio's Poet Laureate, De Leon told National Native News he and all Chicanos from the Southwest are rooted in the ancient indigenous Mexica culture. We still carry the same blood of our ancestors. We come from myth and legend. We come from the serpent and the eagle. Uh, the eagle standing on the cactus, devouring a serpent. That's a metaphor. That it is, again, an encounter between matter and spirit, because that is the totality of creation, matter and spirit. Neftali de Leon will serve as San Antonio's Poet Laureate for the next three years, promoting the art of poetry while celebrating the diverse culture and history of this Texas city. For National Native News, I'm Maria Martin. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. Support by the Gathering of Nations Powwow, a live event taking place April 27th, 28th, and 29th on the Powwow grounds of Expo New Mexico, featuring song, dance, trader's market, horse parade, and more. Tickets available at gatheringofnations.com and at the gates. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. The South Dakota Board on Education Standards voted yesterday in favor of a new set of social studies standards that Native American educators and all the state's tribes say doesn't include enough about South Dakota's indigenous history and issues. This comes after four public hearings and the creation of the Social Studies Standards Revision Commission by South Dakota's Republican Governor Kristi Noem. Commission members are appointed by the governor. Today we'll speak with educators about what the new standards mean for teachers and students. We'll also talk about the current trend in some states to ignore topics that appear to be critical of U.S. actions and policies in the past. You're welcome to join us if you're in South Dakota and have K-12 students in your family, or you're a teacher, what do you think about the state's new social studies standards? How much Native history should be taught to public school students? Join us by calling in at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us today from Rapid City, South Dakota is Sarah White. She's the Executive Director of the South Dakota Education Equity Coalition. She's Oglala Lakota. Sarah, welcome back to Native America Calling. Hello, it's a pleasure to be here, unfortunately, under these circumstances. Unfortunately, yes. Uh, we'll talk a lot more about this today. And uh, also joining us today up in Siston, South Dakota, is Dr. Sherry Johnson. She's the executive, excuse me, the education director for the Siston Wapton Oyate, and she's an enrolled member of the Siston Wapton Oyate. Dr. Johnson, welcome back to NAC as well. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. 
Pleasure to have you, Dr. Johnson. And also joining us in Martin, South Dakota is Josie Green. She's the Executive Director for Teach for America, South Dakota. Josie, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Sarah, I'd like to begin with you today, and uh, I know you've got a lot on your mind. What's your initial reaction after the vote of approval? Were you surprised at all with how it went down? Well, I'm extremely disheartened to say I'm surprised. It's probably not completely accurate given the nature of Governor Nome's strategic process to bring the people together. Um, I think we had high hopes for um, for the the failure of the standards, but unfortunately we saw the passage, which wasn't shocking, I guess. Okay. And Dr. Johnson, I know you were in peer yesterday. You gave testimony. What were your thoughts after the vote yesterday? Oh, I kid you not. I could see it in the works. And when I was, um, because I've already provided testimony at least one time to in the four hearings that they had, they put me on a second list. And so I was, I was able to speak after everyone else got done because I'd already spoke before. And so when, it was way at the end. And by that time, I could already see it in the works. It was, you know, and I, I point blank it, during my um, testimony did pretty much ask them. I said, you know, give us a fair chance. Listen to what the people say. Um, is this, you guys, I think you guys have already gotten your, you already have your mind made up. I can mm-hmm. see it. Is this exercise just a futile exercise that, you know, what are we all doing here? Now, I believe it, it was a five to two vote. Uh, so there were two uh, two people that, that voted against these uh, these standards. But I mean, just there, how did you read the room? Those five people that voted, uh, you know, to approve. Um, I mean, was there any dialogue at all? Any, any did they give any indication at all that they were at least sensitive or concerned about the demands that you and the others were making? I think not. You know, we had to listen to one of the um, hearing board members say, well, uh, out of all the personal texts on the phone, I ha- only had two that were opposed to that. And it's like, really? You're going to judge that on the amount? You know, there was over a 1,000 comments that were in opposition of, of doing this that were officially submitted to the Department of Education, and yet she's going to judge it because there's only two that didn't want it from her personal cell phone? Well... I'm not sure, but the rest of us didn't get an option to text her personal cell phone. Yeah. Well, Sarah, I mean, what do we know about these new standards other than, you know, what we've read in the paper so far in terms of uh, how they, they seem to um, cast off uh, much of, of South Dakota's uh, Native American history as well as contemporary issues? What else do we know about them and how are, are they so different from what's been taught before? Well, I think the most alarming aspect, aside from the fact that there's an active erasure of our Ocheti Shakoing contributions um, through a cultural, linguistic, and community lens, I think one thing that's really scary for me as a parent is the fact that these standards really seek to politically indoctrinate students. It takes away their ability to think beyond the rigidity of nationalism. And that's what's, I, I feel like that's really scary. We're using 
um, I'll be bold enough to say that we're using education in the same way that Hitler was using education to censor and indoctrinate the community. And that's what South Dakota passed yesterday. Let's hear some of the comments from the State Standards Board before they took the vote. Here is Phyllis Heinemann, who voted for the standards as they're presented. She says she's excited about the prospect of new, more rigorous standards. And I'm hopeful when I see all of the, over the last four meetings, all of the passion on both sides. And I mean, we've got opponents and proponents. We've got great educators on both sides. We've got great experts on both sides. So I'm hopeful that when the final outcome, and, and I'm going to be honest, I'll be voting for it, that we do have these standards, that they take all this energy and channel it into making these standards work, to making them come alive for kids, and taking in all the conversation from the opponents, you know, making them work as well as possible. But um, I do think it's exciting. I will say one thing. The opponents, I hope they know we've listened to them. Uh, one of the things was the age appropriateness. So I had to go back to first and second and third grade, and I talked to a lot of people who have taught. There are tremendous resources out there. Um, I just I read a book about it's a primary book that talks about ancient history and how you can tell this ancient histories in stories that make it come alive. Commission member Terry Nevelsek opposed the standards, saying not only were they developed by a source outside South Dakota, they do a disservice to the state's native residents. He rejected what he perceived to be criticisms about the rejected standards not being patriotic enough. I believe we'll go backwards by losing our focus on South Dakota history in fourth grade and the pride that it produces. The protests we've seen document that we are not meeting the expectations of our Native American brothers and sisters with this proposal. South Dakota public schools currently provide many opportunities to learn history and express patriotism through patriotic songs and through Pledge of Allegiance to the U.S. flag and the South Dakota flag. Educators in South Dakota say the Pledge of Allegiance to their country 174 times a year. Do any of us do that? We should all be proud of the public school opportunities that children have to express their faith, pray their silent prayers, and carry on the traditions of their parents and grandparents while welcoming the traditions and parents of new neighbors. Well, Dr. Johnson, I'd like to get your reaction there. You know, we heard Phyllis Heinemann, who voted for the standards as they're presented. She said there were great experts on both sides of the issue and to the opponents uh, that she hoped that they knew that they listened to the opponents. Uh, what's your reaction? Do you feel that those were accurate statements? Absolutely not. They didn't listen to the people. I mean, how how many... At the end of the um, proponents' time, there was always extra time left because they didn't have enough proponents. And so um, the opponents were lined up, you know, one after another and went as fast as they could so they can get as many as they could in that 90-minute time frame. And, you know, as far as the content standards themselves, there's still huge hundreds of, of years missing where there's no mentions of indigenous um, peoples. And, you know, they all, they'll tell you that, there's, oh, there's more Native that they, well, it's general. I mean, there's vague references to people and there's, um, to Native people. And there's, they lack, the, the actual standards lack specificity to our Dakota, Nakota, and, and Lakota um, people. 
And when you figure that we are um, the second population in South Dakota, which is 20%, that then we deserve to have 20% of those standards in there. Sorry. Sarah, back. I'm, I'm sorry, Dr. Johnson. Go ahead. Continue. Oh, no, no, that's okay. That was oh. our history, too. That's all I was going to say. Just years okay. and years missing. Gotcha, gotcha. Sarah, the Ositi Sakuin Essential Understandings, um, what can you tell our listeners about uh, those standards, those understandings, and, and who created them? So the Ositi Sakuin Essential Understandings are basically a South Dakota state-recognized set of standards that in like that give a baseline for the thought philosophy and culture of our um, indigenous tribes in South Dakota. Um, they were created by a set of community elders, educators, and um, I believe Dr. Johnson is included in numerous times throughout that, um, along with some of the complementary materials that help um, develop the curriculum around it. However, although South Dakota does recognize them as a state of education standards, due to a failure um, to enact the promulgation of rules for their implementation, they remain an elective set of standards at best. Um, and that's okay. what I'll say just for now. Yeah. All righty. Gotcha. Anyone listening today, if you're up in South Dakota and uh, you've got a child in school, you've got a grandchild in a public school, grades K through 12, uh, you must have some thoughts uh, about this uh, latest development there up with the South Dakota Board on Education Standards and their vote yesterday in favor of a new set of social studies standards uh, that Native American advocates and educators say doesn't include enough about Indigenous history. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. We've got the phone lines open, so let's get the phones working here. Let's get some callers in. We want to hear your thoughts as well. More with Sarah White, Dr. Sherry Johnson, and Josie Green when we come back from this break. Gun ownership is a hot political topic, and with every mass shooting that happens in this country, gun control laws come up for debate. What's missing from the discussion are gun control laws in Indian country, which can be vastly different compared to what's on the books in neighboring states. More on tribal sovereignty and guns on the next Native America Calling. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. We're taking a look at South Dakota's social studies standards today. The state's education board approved a new set of standards. Governor Kristi Noem's administration had a hand in revising the standards after a panel of educators recommended their version. Many Native educators say the revisions don't teach enough about South Dakota Native American history as well as contemporary issues. We'll continue with our guests, but we want to hear from you too. If you're a parent to a student in a South Dakota school, what do you think about these new social studies standards? What do you think about how Native history and issues are taught to students in your state? 
Join us by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. I'd like to go back to Sarah White now. She's the executive director of the South Dakota Education Equity Coalition. And uh, Sarah, I'd like to know these uh, these new standards that have been approved. Uh, is there any effort in these standards as you see them to include any aspects of Native American history or discussion of contemporary issues impacting Native people in the state of South Dakota? There are very minimal. Um, there are very minimal mentions um, and many lack substantive information that students would need to grow up in South Dakota and coexist with diverse populations. Um, and so that, to me, is really problematic. Dr. Johnson, back to you now. I mean, what is the purpose of having social study standards in schools, and why are they so important? Well, you know, there's that old adage about repeating history. You know, we're at a time where it's definitely an unrest in our country. We see more um, um, violent acts in our school systems. And, you know, I knock on wood and send my prayers to the Sakanshanas that, you know, things like that don't happen. But that's our reality. And we need to have our children well-versed in multicultural education so they understand the people's that they're coming to, and they they develop that sensitivity and that empathy for all people. And then the other thing I wanted to say is, you know, just with, with you asked Sarah a question about um, um, the, the impacts of um, the standards themselves. Well, when you look at where the standards are, all primarily most of the Native American standards are right at the end of the section. It was almost like they, we were an afterthought that they needed to add one that appeases the Native American people. And, and a lot of times um, they put us in with um, any, any mention of black or African American people. They it commingled us together. And so i just like to add that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Johnson, uh, what role did you play or were you given any opportunity to consult with regard to, to these new standards that have been proposed? Absolutely not. Our tribes weren't asked to consult at all. There is an educational law and the state law that requires tribal consultation, and uh, we were not provide, afforded that opportunity to consult at all. And were you given an explanation as to why? No, they never would address that at all. It was mentioned, and it's mentioned in our resolutions. We have resolutions of support for, um, from all nine tribes in South Dakota and the Great Plains Tribal Chairmen's Association also. Now, back to Sarah. Sarah I know there is a two-year implementation plan for the new standards. Uh, is there any chance between now and then that things could change and uh, these standards could be e either removed or, or changed significantly to address some of these concerns that you and Sherry and Josie and everyone else has? Well, I think we still have an opportunity to consider alternative pathways um, to oppose this current set of standards. Right now we're in conversations with different stakeholders regarding some um, legal processes that we can explore. And that's where my hope is or currently um, in an opportunity to challenge and repeal um, this vote. And then 
ultimately the desire would be to have a reconsideration of the 2021 consensus standards that the work group, including Dr. Johnston, worked on um, because that was not given a fair hearing process. Dr. Johnson, uh, critical race theory (CRT) uh, it's on so many people's so many people's mind right now, and it's a, it's a hot issue in so many states. How closely connected do you think uh, this vote and these new standards are to that that issue there, that core issue of, of CRT? Well, I don't know. Our our South Dakota state has um, went on the let it be known that they will not tolerate any um, CRT at all. But one of the board members actually talked about the classical um, standards in classical schools when when she was giving her presentation. So it made me wonder about all of that. All right. Well, uh, we do want to make a statement here. We reached out to both the South Dakota Department of Education and the Office of Indian Education. They both declined to have representatives on our show today. Uh, what we can say is that Governor Kristi Noem signed an executive order against what's known as critical race theory uh, that instructed the Department of Education to review teacher trainings, content standards, and other educational materials to ensure they are devoid of divisive concepts on race. So interesting, interesting development. Anybody that wants to call in today with a comment or a question, especially somebody up there in South Dakota, we'd really like to hear your thoughts on these new standards that are being proposed and have been voted on and approved uh, initially through a vote yesterday in Pierre uh, with regard to social studies standards in, in schools, K through 12. 1-800-996-2848. That number again, 1-800-996-2848. Phone lines are open, so give us a call. Uh, Josie Green, uh, also on our show today, uh, Executive Director for uh, South Dakota Region of Teach for America. Josie, I want to ask you, do you see these new social study standards presenting challenges to any of your current TFA teachers? Yes, I do. I do think that it'll create some challenges, and there have been challenges over and over, I think, in our state when it comes to an accurate and true true picture of the history of South Dakota, particularly with our Chekishakoi communities. And there, these, these standards are just so robust um, outside of just the, the lack of accurate depiction of our indigenous communities. They're also just huge. There's so many standards, and particularly for our lower elementary teachers, there's been a pretty, pretty common argument about developmentally appropriate, knowing that there's a lot of conversations, and I believe somebody had named something about the way in which these standards will be shared is through stories, which I am all about stories, and it does make us a little curious about the ways that we're going to depict stories of war for our first graders. And so I, I see a challenge coming before us um, if these do continue as they appear to be, that, that it's going to have to bring up a lot of conversations about how do we equip our teachers to be skilled in this particular way um, to have the type of conversations that I feel like are just going to cause a lot of issues for our young learners. Teach for America, I, I know many times you will recruit teachers from, from other states and, and they'll move to some of these states where they work. Uh, is that the case there in South Dakota with TFA? Do, are a lot of your teachers coming in from other states and might not have a, a significant baseline level of knowledge with regard to South Dakota's Native American tribes and, and other issues? That is correct. Since 2004, we have brought in teachers both 
locally to come back home, but the majority of our teachers do come from out of state, which requires us to first and foremost orient them to the soil, to the land here in South Dakota and to the communities that they'll be serving in, which, which has required our teacher education programming to look at the history of schooling in our country as well as in the local areas to really think about what is the foundation of education here and how is it not working knowing that what we're trying to do is create an equitable educational experience for our kids that requires something different and is a bit tricky when juxtapositioned to something like the social studies standards that were approved. With that said, Josie, do you see these standards having an impact on your recruitment efforts? Yes and no. Hard, hard to make the prediction. I think we've seen a lot of instances like this across the nation and in the world of the pandemic. I think so much has been put on educators, so much more than has ever been put on educators, even knowing that our educators are you know, the most audacious, the most creative people I've ever met. They will rise to the occasion. But I think this is another example of ways that we, we do not have an adequate amount of support to be able to stand behind our, our educators. So I, I do see it playing a role as there's been a continuous decline in teacher recruitment. I could see this playing a role in that. Let's go to the phones now. We have Steve listening on KUNM in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hello, Steve. Hi, I love your show. Hey, uh, two quick uh, comments. I'm a non-native but I've a uh, substitute uh, teacher. Uh, I've been teaching uh, off and on in at least three states, Ohio, Arizona, uh, Colorado. And I think it's a national problem. Uh, they, the social studies in high school it talks a lot about Romans and Greeks and Babylonians and almost says nothing about uh, any, any uh, native uh, culture, history, and issues. Uh, also, I just wanted to say, uh, to me, CRT is simply telling the truth and putting history in context. I don't know why uh, people get so exercised about that. And uh, that's all I really wanted to say, but it's a great show, and uh, I'm not surprised at all that uh, the Dakota, South Dakota schools are, are getting short shift on the Native history because uh, the political history of that state, that region, uh, in simple words, uh, regarding natives is very ugly. Uh, the non-natives have uh, overstepped their uh, authority throughout history in all America, really. Uh, and that's all I really wanted to say. And we need, uh, I agree with the, uh, the professors about uh, more specificity and 20%. And let's be reasonable and proportional in, in telling history. Thanks for listening. Well, Steve, thank you for calling in and appreciate uh, those warm words for Native America Calling. We sure do enjoy when listeners give us great feedback, and we'll keep it coming for you. Steve also uh, referred to CRT, or critical race theory, as telling the truth. And with that, I'd like to explore uh, the topic of CRT in a little bit more detail and get a little bit more of a definition to what's really at the heart of it. And Josie, could you do that for us? Give us a, a little bit more information on critical race theory and why it's just such a big deal in the United States right now? Oh my goodness, that is a huge question. Um, I can try, I can try, but, but only by saying that critical race theory 
is not taught in our public schools. It's not taught at a K-12 level. It is much more of a um, college higher education a theoretical concept that that folks can dig into, which is the purpose of education when you go to that collegiate level. Um, and I think in, in more recent times, critical race theory has come to mean a, a variety of things, particularly taglines having to do with having conversations about race, gender, ethnicity, et cetera, that could be deemed what we often hear as divisive concepts or, or terms like, like woke conversations. Um, and I think they're the, the type of conversations that folks may feel uncomfortable with, and again, are not necessarily anything that has ever been taught in our K-12 school district. Dr. Johnson, would you like to add any insights to, to the basis of critical race theory as we're talking about it today? Well, you know, there's that critical pedagogy that everyone needs to have to, um, address any of the misunderstandings and otherwise we'll always have these misunderstandings going on and critical race theory is is a whole um it means different things to different people whereas you know it's it primarily was a a, a discussion about um in you know and when they first started bringing it out a discussion at a higher education level in it in uh, the college collegiate where they discussed um, impacts from various lenses and so that's why it's so huge for um, k-12 because you know like our governor says no one should feel bad over um, what they're learning well native americans have felt bad about what they what they're learning for many many years when it's not taught properly and so we are hoping that um, you know we can't say critical race theory but our teachers know what's best to teach the concepts of culture knowledge and you know and and even the power to take on new meanings when examined through an indigenous lens Let's go back to the phones uh, again in Albuquerque, New Mexico, listening on station KUNM. We have Akimi. Hello, Akimi. Thank you for calling in today. Hi, everyone. I um, just wanted to say thank you to um, those individuals who are on the show today for your persistence in um, South Dakota and making sure that not only our Native Indigenous youth are learning the truth and honesty behind our histories, but also non-Natives. Um, I really wanted to say thank you for that. Uh, it's really appreciated because you're doing much more than for um, Native American community than just South Dakota. Um, and then I also wanted to ask if any of the Native colleges in South Dakota are offering um, courses for K through 12 individuals who are interested in learning the truth that may not get that in their public school setting, but could uh, go out to colleges or tribal entities to learn those informations and perhaps get college credit or AP credit for that. Akimi, uh, great question. Thank you for calling in. And I'd like to have Sarah White respond to that. Uh, Sarah, uh, tribal colleges, uh, the essential understandings that you were talking about earlier, some of these uh, more traditional methods of, of curriculum, are those being uh, used there amongst the tribal colleges for, for Native students in the state of South Dakota? So the colleges that I'm aware of, our tribal colleges are definitely um, 
encouraging the full inclusion of the Ochati Shakoin essential understandings, and I think that's extremely important. I think it's also extremely important to note that our state land-based schools, so our university system in South Dakota, um, our Basically, our Native American centers and student services have been threatened with this anti-CRT propaganda. And so there's a lot of censorship in, in what those individuals and organizations are able to share when it comes to truth-telling to students. So while I think there are concentrated efforts with our um, TCUs in South Dakota, I think we have a lot more work to be done um, on our publicly funded institution side. All righty. We are going to have to take another break, but when we come back, Sarah, I, I want to give you a chance to, to elaborate on what you just said regarding the censorship. And if you could maybe provide some specific examples uh, of how some of these schools or some of these programs are being censored as you describe it. Uh, anybody else with a question? We've had a couple of great callers so far. and We'd like to have a few more. Uh, we've got plenty of time. The number to call, 1-800-996-2848. We'll get your comments right on the air right away. So give us a call. Stay with us, and we'll be right back. Smoking gave me COPD, which makes it harder and harder for me to breathe. I have a tip for you. If your doctor gives you five years to live, spend it talking with your grandchildren. Explain to them that your grandpa's not gonna be around anymore to share his wisdom and his love. I haven't figured out how to do that yet. I'm running out of time. COPD makes it harder and harder to breathe and can cause death. You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about inclusion of Native culture, history, and issues in South Dakota's social studies standards. Plenty of time for you to join our conversation today. Just give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. And before break, we had a caller uh, from Albuquerque, New Mexico, asking about uh, how well... Uh, some of these uh, more traditional standards of education are being incorporated into tribal colleges. And we had one of our guests, Sarah White, respond. And Sarah, you mentioned uh, some issues of censorship. Can you expand on that more for our listeners? Absolutely. So in the 2022 legislative session, Governor Nome, um at the conclusion of that, a bill passed, which was HB 1012, it was an act to protect students and employees at institutions of higher education from divisive concepts. And included in that bill were a list of things that basically, in my opinion, protect whiteness and shield, um, I guess, uphold white fragility and an inability to really talk in um, a critical way about race, gender, um, and any issue of equality for that matter. Um, and it also censored the ability for our professors and instructors to teach that in a classroom setting objectively. So it's it's a really interesting bill, um, and there are severe implications that are playing out in our post-secondary institutions across the state. Now, you say divisive concepts. What, what would be considered a divisive concept taught to students then? So in the bill itself, it states seven points um, that clarifies the, the definition of what they consider to be divisive in this bill. 
Um, and so, for instance, number one is that any race, color, religion, sex, ethnicity, or national origin is inherently superior or inferior. And then, like, we'll go to number three, for instance, about my commentary about it being an act to provide for safety around white fragility. Number three states that an individual's mor moral character is inherently determined by their race, color, religion, sex, ethnicity, or national origin. Now, in the information surrounding this, or the, I guess I should say, um, the proponent testimony surrounding this, Governor Nome talked a lot about how divisive com concepts, in her opinion, are anything that students would feel shameful for in a classroom setting. Um, and so okay. anything, yeah, so. All right. So what's interesting about this, Sarah, is, is on paper, I mean, I mean, these sound like they, they sound like they make a lot of sense. But uh, apparently between being a set of standards on a piece of paper and then what's actually implemented in a classroom, it sounds like a lot can change in that course. Is that accurate to say? Absolutely. I feel like in the insidious nature of institutional racism is such that it will craftily uphold a narrative of white supremacy in such a way that seems like theoretically sound, but when it, uh, when it comes to application, it's extremely discriminatory and unequitable. Let's go to the phones again. Uh, another caller from Albuquerque, New, Mes New Mexico, listening on KUNM, Justin. Hi, Justin. Hi there. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, just a quick question uh, to the Wonderful panel, thank you for for your for your work. I was just curious if there had been any consideration for a, a legal challenge similar to the Yazi Martinez versus State of New Mexico case, in basically saying that the state had failed to provide sufficient uh, system of education for all New Mexico children, and so there was a, a lawsuit that was won, and and basically. Uh, one of those things being cultural and linguistic relevant education. So I was just curious in South Dakota if, they've, if all the nine tribes collectively have considered maybe suing the state, for example, for for similar um, standards. I'll take the uh, I'll listen offline. Thank you. Thank you for that call, Justin. Sarah, could you respond to that? Uh, our caller Justin cites uh, a case in New Mexico, Yazi Martinez versus State of New Mexico. Uh, how closely are you folks looking at legal precedents in other states such as New Mexico or anywhere else where perhaps uh, there could be some precedents that could uh, assist uh, your efforts going forward with these standards? Well, we have been exploring multiple states with similar legal interests. Um, we have, it's interesting because the constitution of each state is uniquely different and so there are ways that protect some of the things that have happened here from being legal pursuits. And I guess I would defer to Dr. Johnson for a more um, historic picture of what that could, what that has looked like in the past with regard to our tribal education directors. Dr. Johnson, please chime in. So, you know, with our, because we have a solidarity with between all nine tribes, there's a power in itself to do that. So, you know, yes, I've already reached out. Um, I've reached out to um, ACLU. I'm going to talk to NARF. And then I'm also, um, I've already talked to our tribal council who authorized, you know, our legal to be, for me to access our legal department. And so that those um, initial 
um, steps have already been taken on that part of it. So, yes, it's, uh, I, I can't just let this go because this is so wrong to not listen to what the people of South Dakota are saying. It's so wrong not to listen to what the teachers of South Dakota are saying. It's so wrong not to listen to what the native tribes across South Dakota are saying. And, and Dr- we have people that'll just, I don't know. I don't know. Go ahead. Well, I want to ask you, I mean, you mentioned the teachers, the families, and of course the students. And, and what are those people saying? I mean, after yesterday's vote, what are you hearing from the families and the communities that you work in and the people that, that are going to be directly impacted, the people that are going to be sitting in these classrooms and, and being exposed to these issues and they're, they're going to be impacted their lives directly? What are they saying? What are they telling you? Well, one parent got up and testified yesterday that um, she said, you're going to steal the innocence of my child. So between kindergarten, first grade, and second grade, they teach so much war And, I mean, we're talking war everywhere in this nation that she she claimed that these standards were going to steal the innocence of her child. And when you look at the Native lens in there, primarily the Native people are, in most cases than not, depicted as warlike all through there. And so, you know... That's huge. That's that's what we're hearing. And, you know, we had over thousands of comments in the official website that said, we oppose these. And so, yeah, compared with just over 100, I think it was, that, that really approved of these standards. So there's a huge disparity that this committee did not listen to the people of South Dakota, that the four um, hearings were just acts. So, you know, my, my case is is to really look at what the structures of um, what is that process because every time um, the, a standards document should have four hearings and now every time we had it, there was a change in the document itself. So, so okay. that should essentially listen. trigger four more hearings then for each one of those changes? Is that how it should work? I don't know, but I'm in, I'm going to look at the state law and rec- look at what it requires. Okay, all right. Uh, we got another caller on the line, John, who is listening in Pine Ridge, South Dakota, on Keeley. Hello, John. Good morning. Good morning, John. I, I understand like you were at the that. hearing. Yes, I attended the hearing, and it just seemed to me that Christy Nome and her board already had the mind set up. Uh, it took no time to get the verdict, if you can call it that, and their decision was made already. Well, it took no time at all, and it just seems to be a secret, a dirty secret that they don't want out. That's why it's not being taught in schools. Just a comment. John, thank you for calling in. That was John Pine Ridge, South Dakota, listening on Key Lee. And uh, Josie, I'd like to go back to you because you're, you're ta- you, you have been a classroom teacher, and, and now, of course, you work recruiting teachers, and, and you get them ready for these classrooms there through Teach for America. And uh, how do you go about that? How do you take, you know, because we talked earlier, a lot of your, your, your teachers are coming in from other states, and they don't have a, a, 
a high baseline level of knowledge with regard to the state of South Dakota and native issues? And how do you get them ready to, to go into a school working with, with native students and others and get them to the point that they're comfortable teaching some of these issues uh, as you know them? Yeah, that's a great, great question, Sean. Um, and I think the first thing I'd name is that we get them really comfortable with being uncomfortable and, and recognizing that they may not know uh, everything about what it is that they're walking into, let alone the people. And so they need to get close and they need to get proximate. And so we get into community and into the stories that the community holds and, and get them ready to be able to sit down um, in a humble way and be able to listen to the kids that they'll be with. So I think this is going to be an interesting endeavor given this entire process I think was a great example of, of opportunities when a large community actually comes together with those original proposed standards across the state, which we just don't see very often. And then the process flipped it on its head but then we got to see again um, the community come together, many communities come together in opposition of the new standards. And, and I think that's what was most disappointing was it was again flipped on its head yesterday and kids were watching. There was a number of um, young people at the testimonies yesterday who I got to talk to beforehand and afterwards to hear the ways that they were experiencing this type of civic engagement. Um, being able to actually learn on the fly what it is to be uh, a part of this community, a part of this government system that they'd been learning about. And prior to even going to peer, I remember a young girl saying, wait, I don't actually think that my voice matters here. After I've done all this research about this social studies standards process, I don't know that I want to say anything um, because I don't think anything's going to happen. And, and that's not what we want to hear from our young people, but it took probably 20 minutes of conversation to realize that for herself, that that's a real possibility. And so, so I'm, I'm disappointed in the process and to see what's going to come tomorrow and the days after for the young people who got the real live experience of what it is to be a citizen of this state and of this community. Um, and, and we'll be interested to hear from our teachers, too, because that's that's what I think it's going to require, just getting close and proximate to what the actual experience is always and being react, being responsive um, to what's required of us next. And most of your TFA teachers that they go into these classrooms in South Dakota, about how long are they there? It ranges. Um, on average, our teachers will stay three years, four years, um, but the minimum requirement is two years. We have, we have, we've been here since 2004 and have welcomed about 400 teachers. 80, per, 80 of them are still in South Dakota. And what's interesting about your program is, is many of these people will not actually be teachers. They might go into a, another line of work, and this is a way to help them pay for graduate school or undergrad and, and kind of help prepare them for future careers. So what do you think they'll take uh, from, from working there in South Dakota in light of these issues that we're talking about today? And then they're going to go out perhaps and, and work in a new state and maybe an entirely different career, but they're still going to carry what they've learned from this program and issues like this. What do you think that impact's going to be long-term? 
Well, I think we're starting to see some of the impact long term. I think I think some of the misconceptions, or maybe actually true conceptions in some ways, is that this experience was a resume builder of some kind. But I think what we actually end up seeing is that from this time here with our kids, you can't shake what it is that kids deserve after you've experienced what it's like to live in their shoes or at least see what their shoes are like. And so we see our people trying to get creative about how to look at the system in a different way, whether that is through healthcare or starting new schools or trying to advocate for Native education in, in some other realm. Um, but they don't shake it. Uh, and I think that's what's going to be required is trying to figure out who are all the different people across the state and the nation who have unique roles to play. We've got time for one more caller, Ray, who is listening in Eagle Butte, South Dakota on KIPI. Ray, we, we're going to have to wrap up the show in about a minute, but go ahead. The airways are, your, are yours. Uh-huh. Yeah, yes. You guys are really talking good about the kids, but the people, that's good. You know, over here, if they want to do that to us, you know, they call it the culturation program. We're, we're not indigenous creatures. And when they got court cases like Barlett versus South Dakota, banned South Dakota from reservations, and then Running Horde versus Sector Interior, which bans the United States. So we need to push those and then open a hospital like Holy Wogulukunkoki. We could speak to everybody in Lakota, you know. Hey, we knew that first. Now they're trying to make us speak this dead language. You know, uh, no way. You know, they're within our great nation. So we're not going to let this pass us through, especially for the future generation. Let the people hear that. You know, we'll ban English in some areas of school. Plus, the members of the working class have to speak Lakota. Thank you. Ray, thank you for that powerful call there. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give Dr. Sherry Johnson the last word. Sherry, we are going to have to wrap up here shortly, but how would you respond to Ray and his comments there regarding uh, the Lakota language and how it needs to be taught and fostered. Well, it does. I mean, you know, that's that's one of the main emphasis of all of our schools, our tribal colleges that are on our reservation, yeah, and our tribe itself. We all have um, language um, goals, and to keep our language alive, you know, we have as our first language speakers are are passing on, we have a whole generation of new speakers coming on and you know 20 years ago we couldn't have said that because our language was basically beat out of us well folks we are going to have to wrap up the show uh wonderful conversation on social study standards in south dakota big thanks to our three guests dr sherry johnson sarah white and josie green hope you'll join us again tomorrow on native america calling for a discussion about gun laws and indian country until then thank you for listening as always the Indian Arts and Crafts Act protects authentic American Indian and Alaska Native artists and craftspeople and their art and craftwork. Under the act, it is illegal to market art or craftwork misrepresented as American Indian, Indian, Native American, or Alaska Native made, or as the product of a particular Indian tribe. Reporting potential act violations can be done at doi.gov IACB or at one 888 art Support provided by Indian Arts and Crafts Board. Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian Country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities 
protecting tribal sovereignty and keeping dollars in Indian country are Ameren's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Ameren.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.